0: Hello and welcome to Goblet Wine, a drunken Harry Potter podcast. I'm Charlie. And I'm Hannah. And we're two 20-somethings reading our favourite childhood book, but this time with added alcohol and cynicism. In today's episode, we're reading chapter 37 of Order of the Phoenix. So, if you want to join us, grab a glass of your favourite, I don't even know, random alcohol and join us for a recap, apparently, of all five books. Yeah, a two-hour recap. Mm-hmm. Enjoy. Uh, I would grab snacks, is what. Well. Maybe grab snacks. Maybe <laughs> grab vodka. Yeah. Hi, Charlie's just got a got a got a hot message of someone. Oh uh, <laughs> yeah. What if he hears this? Uh, okay, we won't joke about it. <laughs> Thank you to the podcast listeners who fancy us. Um, yep. It makes thank us it supremely uncomfortable, but thank you for your support of our appearances. It's
1: Good to know that we have options. <laughs> thank you so much. We'll just leave it at that.
0: Yep. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Thank <laughs> you. Hello and welcome to the chapter 37 where we discuss hopefully all of the lost prophecy, but I suspect only half of the lost prophecy, but we shall see. We shall see. <laughs> we shall see. See, um, how are you today? It's the same day as the last episode we recorded. <laughs> yeah, it's good. We yeah,
1: vibin. Vibin. Vibin'. Vibin'. For once. And we'll we'll go into this later, but for once, Hannah doesn't know the alcohol. But I just went in to like discuss it with Neil to like ask how he thinks it should be drunk.
0: It's very short. I hope we have
1: more. We might uh no, we have loads. But like Hannah came in halfway through and I was just like, Neil was like, uh lying on the sofa. And like the Charlie moment, was kneeling at his, and crotch. then I was like kneeling at his crotch. And the minute before, he'd had the cat on his lap, who had jumped off just before Hannah opened the door, and she was like. What are you two? What's going on? What are you two doing? <laughs> well, I don't trust you two, but it
0: was a weird thing to walk I into. I was like, oh, I was just sucking his dick. And then you came in. Uh, no, but yeah, I and was asking. And then I then ran into the other room and did some vibing to Snow Patrol. So. Yeah, she was like, moving on. <laughs> moving on. I'm going to get the on from that to utmost betrayal. <laughs> vibe to, for me. We'll find out that in a minute. But first, we have new patrons. We to do. welcome to the Patreon team, family. Famille. Mm Famalam. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So, a antagonistic size thank you to Amelia.
1: A George of the Jungle size thank you to George. And that is the highest praise because George of the Jungle is.
0: Mm. Very good. A Antonio Banderas (laughs) size thank you to Antonino. 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 I'm going to go with Antonino.
1: An alarming size thank you to Anina. A sacrificial lamb, size thank you to Sophie. An alopecia, size thank you to Alicia. A
0: salicious, thank you to Sophia.
1: A llama, size thank you to Lily.
0: Well, Lele.
1: Lele. Leel. However you say that, please tell us and
0: we will correct it. Thank you all so much for joining the Patreon. You are on the Patreon and are our favourite people. Aww. <laughs> you're helping to support this podcast we need to buy some pieces of new equipment you're helping with that one of our pieces of equipment broke Yep. that's the kind of thing that <laughs> without you we'd struggle with it actually broke like six months ago <laughs> we just... bought one new piece to hopefully fix it. it it didn't work it
1: fixed some of it it fixed some of it um, it didn't fix all of it it did not we have a review as well so this review comes from mila t who says fourth review from finland i hope
0: this continues into many reviews from Finland because this has happened many times Yeah, people going like, Everyone second review. Everyone is counting
1: review. the finished Third reviews. Third
0: review. <laughs> if you're
1: finished right now and haven't uh, left a review, please get do. Us, get us and up to 20 count reviews. count what number you are, please. Yeah, please. I can't read the entire of this thing because like uh, the preview cuts off, but it says, the best Harry Potter podcast. I can't come up with any praise that hasn't been said already. But if you're still looking for EU passports, hit me up absolutely i currently have an irish boyfriend so fingers crossed on that front but if hannah needs something i'm sure she'll hit you up yep. um i can promise you that unlike in london tap water in helsinki is 10 out of 10 and thus thus suitable for tea
0: she has been listening well
1: yeah i appreciate it, the it's those details. details but also yes london tap water
0: is ass uh, it's the same to me but it's all right I... johnny what are we drinking today drink anyway mister drink Okay, too sweet, too sweet. Oh, drinkable though. Very drinkable. Probably because a lot of the ice has melted into it. Mm. Any guesses? The first taste is too sweet. The aftertaste is nicer. Is it some sort of gin? Nope. Like, you know when you go to France and you try to buy squash, but they don't have squash. They have like um, grenadine. It tastes like grenadine. But like, what what flavour? Like, I suppose berries. Okay. Like berry grenadine. Yeah. What is it? It is... Copoha!
1: What's that? <laughs> Tell me what that is. Okay. So this has been in my cupboard for probably three, if not longer, years.
0: Charlie keeps begging me to bin off Patreon alcohols because she has too many alcohols. No, not bin them off. Just <laughs> let me have
1: the occasional week no. because I have a tiny kitchen and so much of my space so is... <laughs> Is podcast booze, but you have like an entire cupboard for your like what the misu shit cupboard? <laughs> yes, <laughs> where you store your cat shit is where you store your booze. No, yes. we're kidding. It's the shelves above. But I like. <laughs> I, just no, this is. I'm not even kidding when I say the podcast booze that I have at this point. Some of it has been there. Most of it has been there years and years, and it is genuinely affecting my life at this point that it takes up space. So anyway. We didn't have anything that we actually had for today's episode. We had like Patreon requests, but didn't have it yet. So I was like, finally, because this one is probably the one in my cupboard the longest and also takes up the most space. Uh, so this is kopaha, or I don't know how you spell it, say it rather. So my sister bought me this probably over three years ago with her ex-partner when they went to Budapest.
0: Oh. Um,
1: and it is cranberry vodka.
0: Cranberry? Yeah. It's 18%. Ah, yeah. So half percentage. Yeah. Very um, nice. I love cranberry.
1: Yeah, it's in a really nice bottle. Wow, look
0: at that uh,
1: stopper. But yeah, I didn't even realise until like five minutes ago that this was vodka. So Neil just had some and he was like, that's really drinkable. Mm. And then because, yeah, so it says Copperha Russian Crown, which confused me because I was like, it's from Budapest and Budapest is not really near Russia. And then yeah. it says cranberry on it, obviously. But then I Googled it and it was like Russian Crown is vodka. And then I was like, oh. So then I, like, Googled the cranberry. It's literally just cranberry vodka.
0: I mean, I like it a lot. Obviously, cranberry, as a woman, has the connotations of being forced to drink it when you Mm -hmm. have a... but um but i actually do really love the taste of cranberry and see i hate it but i
1: actually quite like this it's a it is a very sweet cranberry it's on to chapter seven chapter chapter 37 not not chapter
0: seven that was a year ago
1: (laughs) should we just start again because i don't think we spent enough time Time on on this book no honestly we might have started it in 2020 but you know we
0: have spent triple the time on this book than any other book (laughs)
1: because somehow nothing happens but we've still been doing like one chapter an episode this is
0: most people's least favorite book
1: (laughs) let's just hope that our personalities are endearing enough and if not at least we know we're fuckable to 37 37. the
0: lost prophecy sweet baby jesus is this chapter in depth Mm. do you want to it's also like do you want to go deep do you want to go over the plot of the last five books in detail welcome (laughs) to this chapter (laughs) it's like i i really hate it when authors or like producers
1: or anything spells things out to the audience but this is like oh we're not gonna like spell things out and drip feed it's like you can get the entire plot (laughs) of the books in one chapter. I mean, enjoy. I,
0: I it's both kind of useful because she did such a big gap in between four and five. I think it was that, like, I suppose it was kind of necessary, like, if you hadn't mm. done a reread. But it's just like, and this was meant to be like uncovering all the secrets of all yeah. the other books. Oh my god! But also, and there's so much subtext when we now know the information of book seven. Yeah. But it is just like, I was like writing it's... notes and messaging Charlie just like, oh my God, mm. oh my God. <laughs> it makes sense because she explains her reasons.
1: She explains the reasons that Voldemort, why do we always confuse Voldemort and Dumbledore? That Dumbledore didn't want to tell him this shit before, which yes, there were reasons. But it then also means that then you get all of it explained in one chapter and you think that's over- overwhelming as the reader. Fuck knows how Harry thinks and that's like his actual
0: life. yeah yikes shall we get into it yeah so harry arrives in dumbledore's office and i've made an interesting note something that i've never picked up on Mm. in all of my other many many rereads harry as the narrator notes that everything in the office is repaired from when it was smashed during the instant where dumbledore escaped and i think this is really important because when harry does his smash of the office, he is perfectly aware that it's all fixable because he has already made the mental note that it was broken Mm. during the escape and is fixed now. And I think that shows a level of compassion of Harry that we don't often give him.
1: Yeah, I also quite like it. And, I, and I'm aware that this gets debunked later in the chapter. So I know it's not true, but it's just my own personal headcanon. I like to think it's fixed, not because everything has magically fixed itself, but because Dumbledore has fixed it because he has just still been living there for the past several and months. no one thought to check. <laughs> no, because the it locked itself to everyone aside from... <laughs> so like... The, you know, the Ministry of Magic has been desperately hunting for Dumbledore and he's just vibing in his office, getting day drunk every now and then like McGonagall comes to When does this get debunked?
0: When does it get, oh, the
1: portraits clap.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So it's like only
1: the portraits, but we can ignore that. But they might be putting on a show. Just Maybe so for po- Harry, yeah. yeah. But like, yeah, I like to think he just repaired it all. He's being day drunk with forks and the portraits. And then on like a Friday evening, like McGonagall comes and joins Hell him. Hell yes! like Literally like the entire wizarding government looking for him. And he's literally in his own office because how are they going to know? How are they going to know? Why would they check
0: there? They've already seen it. But yeah. Yeah.
1: Phineas appears and what's the gossip? Like the true homosexual he is. He's like, what's
0: the vibe, kid? Harry looks out the window and is like, Alas, Dawn. And based on Oh no it being <laughs> oh Dawn, no. Oh no. the Patreons requested something of me they didn't request this of you you are the one they request for most things because you're more active on the discord enjoy the asmr of me pouring more alcohol oh to get through this no you pour it for me i
1: can't you i can. physically i physically do cannot it. do it i've not i'm not pouring alcohol as you're holding the glass over
0: our mixing desk oh wimp Multiple of them requested that I make a timetable of this day because they have a theory that it doesn't make sense. Mm. And I live to serve
1: something in Harry Potter not making sense. Something
0: to do with time or geography. And I live to serve our patrons, our listeners in general, especially when it has anything to do with something that can be debunked. So here we are. Are you ready? No. According to Potter Wiki, this chapter happens on the 18th of June, 1996. Now, I don't firmly believe that this chapter happens exactly on this day, but we know it must happen in mid-June because we know they have roughly an eight-week summer, so that must begin at the beginning of July to end on September 1st, and we know they have roughly two weeks of the school year left after this chapter. So 18th of June is fine with me. Let's go with what Potter Wiki says 18th of June. Now, canonically... So what I laid down first in this timetable is the hours we know to be true. Harry's history of magic exam is stated in the text as starting at 2 p.m. We know that for a fact. Harry, we know, has a vision. And at some point, Hermione, they're making a plan in the office. And Hermione says, Harry, it's 5 p.m. The the ministry would be full of wizards. So we know that that bit of text is happening at 5 p.m. So I work backwards from there. The history of magic exam starts at 2 p.m. It goes on for two and a half hours before Harry has his vision. I don't think this is out of the realms of possibility. Like this is their main exam. That's quite long, but that's not that's not that weird, is it? Mm. So the exam goes on for around two and a half hours. Then I've given Harry having his vision half an hour. Uh, he has it around 4.30. He runs around looking for people for a bit. He runs into Ron Hermani Hermione as they finish the exam at around five o'clock and the team start to make a plan. This is when Ginny and Luna come in. And this is where the timeline already begins to fall apart because I had to give the team making a plan an hour. I didn't want to give it an hour. I originally gave it half an hour. But here's where it begins to fall down. Because the 18th of June, I looked up the sunrise and sunset times in Inverness in Scotland. If you want to argue that Hogwarts is somewhere different. I chose somewhere in the middle of Scotland. Don't fight me. It can't be that different. It can't be that different. So... In June, on the 18th of June, is actually basically the longest day of the year. We're r- we're roughly at the longest day of the year. So sunset is around quarter past 10 at night. Oh
1: my god, that's the dream right now. Oh god, I'm at sick of winter. At least now it's gotten to like 4.30 and I'm like, thank god. Because back when it was getting to like 2.33, I just genuinely wanted to die. So sunset
0: is at quarter past 10. This is not when it starts to get dark, that is when the sun mm-hmm. hits the horizon. It starts to get dark a bit before that. And sunrise, in this time in June, is quarter past four in the morning. Okay, so I put yellow, I can show it to you afterwards and I will send it, I will make it a public link in the description of this episode. I put in yellow the facts we know to be true as canonically stated in the chapter, things that J.K. Rowling wrote that are true. So the things that that is, is the exam starts at 2pm, Hermione says it's 5pm, they set off at the Thestrals when the sun is setting, and Harry arrives back in Dumbledore's office as the sun is rising. They are the only things we know to be true. So what that means is when Harry and the team make a plan, and the sun is setting, when they set off on the Thestrals, there is five hours. I cannot make this make sense. This is the bit that makes no fucking sense. Yeah. So... I can give an hour to Harry and the team making a plan. I can't give more than this because we know they're rushing. Mm. They break into Umbridge's office. They talk to Creature. Harry gets pulled out of the fireplace. Umbridge questions him. Snape comes. I've given this an hour and I think that's generous. Mm. I think it's only half an hour. Again, when I originally wrote this, I gave both those half an hour. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe with how big the castle is all the walking, we should generously give it an hour. But we're now giving those things two hours. Then they need to walk into the forest. Again, when I originally wrote this timetable, I gave it half an hour. But I couldn't make the timetable make sense. So I've given them walking into the forest an hour. The only canonical thing, description we have is Harry says it felt like they were walking a long time. But Harry is having basically an anxiety attack. He doesn't know what time is. Like, this is not... It's always going to feel like a long time when you feel like you're on the clock. Exactly. So I've given it an hour. I truly believe it was half an hour. Yeah. But I've given it an hour. I've then given half an hour for what I would call lightly the centaur drama. Mm-hmm. We'll leave it there. This cannot be more than half an hour because it's laid out line by line in the text. I think half an hour is so generous. I agree. Sure. It's like an interaction. Exactly. I... Believe it's 15 minutes max, but I've given it half an hour. I've then given half an hour to, they have another argument. So this is. Harry and Hermione walking off, Ron and that lot appearing, them having an argument at the centre As I've Again, generously given that half an hour and I think it's 15 minutes, mm. that still only takes us to nine o'clock at night when the sun does not scent till quarter past ten and they take off on the Thestrals as the sun dips below the horizon. So I, even in the timetable that I was meticulously trying to make work, have an hour of question mark, question mark, question mark, Question mark, explanation mark, question mark, question mark. There is Amazing. no way I can make this work. Yeah. I don't believe anyone can make this work. There's six
1: hours. Uh, They got stoned and had a load of group sex they forgot about. Yeah.
0: So they set up on the festivals mm. at what I believe to be 10 o'clock at night for them to be riding into the sunset at quarter past 10 mm. for them to be then mostly flying in the dark. Maybe we could generously say... J.K. Rowling was romantically describing what a sunset looks like and they did actually set off at nine and Harry was just like, oh, the sun is fading mm. for an hour before the sunset. Let's just say that. I've then given four hours to the Thestral ride. This gives the Thestrals an average flight speed of 150 miles an hour, <laughs> which I feel is generous. Um, they would all be dead. I feel that's generous, They would all be so dead. 150 miles an hour. They have. They would suffocate. As we have established, 500 miles to fly. So even if the Thestrals were flying at 100 miles an hour, it would take them five hours. I've given them four. If they set off at nine, that would be five hours on the Thestrals. So let's just say Harry is romanticizing the sunset. They set off at 9pm and the Thestrals travel at 100 miles an hour. Mm. Okay. The Thestrals travel at 100 miles an hour. I've written fly my pretties. Naturally. Naturally. Harry does say it takes a while, but that is... Five hours is a fucking long time to sit on Mm -hmm. a horse. And they land at two o'clock in the morning. I've then given them an hour to look for Sirius, look in the rooms, they look in the brain room. Mm -hmm. I think, again, that's generous. Yeah. But that's getting down in the phone booth, all of that malarkey. Yeah. I've given them an hour. Okay. I think that's maybe 40 minutes, but I've given them an hour. Mm -hmm. 3 a.m., the kids begin fighting. The Death Eaters appear, they get split up, they fight, they go to the archery room, Sirius dies. I think that's pretty realistic for an hour. Yeah.
1: Begs the question, why did it take the order that long? But okay, it's fine.
0: At 4am, we have the Dumbledore and Voldemort fight. I've given that only half an hour because it's described line by line and really doesn't feel that long. Mm -hmm. And at 4.30... Harry takes the portkey back to Dumbledore's office and sees the sun rising, which began 10 minutes previously. It doesn't work, but it doesn't not work. Mm. I had patrons telling me there's no way it could work. What I will say is the whole getting to Umbridge's office, going to the forest, getting on the centaurs took twice as long as the whole ministry bit. Which and there's is no other way that can work.
1: Whip. And it's bollocks, unless... And we know that Hogwarts and the forest is huge, but unless it's like insanely huge to the point where having classes wouldn't function because you would never be able to get there in time, yeah, then
0: no, it doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. Like, night is so short on the 18th of June. Night is only, in the UK, six hours. That mm. It's not long enough to make this work. No. I have kind of made it work, but... she screwed herself over by saying that the festival set off at sunset if she hadn't said that this works yeah
1: yeah i get i mean i can't say i blame her for not really thinking specifically about what time sunset is at the time she's writing this it's so easy to look up but it yeah it, it still doesn't work for me it's like the point of say it was like nine when they didn't come out of the forest yeah
0: so How? okay, let's say it's nine when they didn't come out of the forest. So Sirius ha- says yep. as Dumbledore describes, "Alert the Order." We do not know in what way he alerts the Order, but we can imagine it's pretty instantaneous. Yeah, he he says that is more efficient than like fire
1: or anything. So you would assume that this is like instantaneous, and
0: the time is so precious that Sirius refuses to wait around for Dumbledore to arrive in what is described textually as it sounds like only half an hour. It really makes it sound like half an hour till Dumbledore's about to arrive. But Sirius insists on going. And that's why Dumbledore is half an hour to an hour later. But the Thestrals have to be flying textually for four hours minimum. So if the Ministry, let's be generous, let's say the Ministry is
1: alerted at 930
0: 10 how do they do not they rock up at, at like
1: 3 30 a.m
0: yeah how I, I have them arriving at 3 a.m how 3 30 what were they doing i've i on they're in london already like, they're in they're sitting in grim
1: place like and like i understand that it can take time to rally people but surely you have like we can assume that they have some kind of da death eater style getting in contact yeah there's no way that the da has this efficient way and the order of the phoenix no, doesn't that's absolutely real. not
0: absolutely because double so, even jokes about we have a more efficient way than using umbrage's fire yeah exactly so they have an instantaneous i
1: understand that it's like late i mean i would argue that like 10 o'clock they should all be fucking raring to go uh you know they probably just had to get out of their pajamas or whatever but like like you would think in a massive emergency. If you said to me, like, right now, like, if you said to me at, like, 2am right now, you absolutely have to go, like, there is an emergency and, like, people you love are at stake, it would take me only the amount of time to put appropriate clothing on. Yeah. Bearing in mind that I sleep naked. See, I sleep
0: in pyjamas, I just throw a coat over the top, I'm out the door, I'm gone. Yeah. Get me there. Yeah, I literally would put, like... And these people can apparate. They don't have our problem of having to physically get somewhere. I know,
1: I would put jeans on a jumper and... Done. So I don't understand how it took them that long.
0: I am perfectly aware that we are criticising something that J.K. Rowling is known for being bad at, and I'm not talking about the Transphobia. knowledge of gender and sex as a concept. I'm talking about the fact that she clearly has no knowledge of how yeah. time, money, or anything actually grounded in reality works. Like we know this we before she was transphobic and everything else forgave her for it because it's kind of a quirky bit of her personality she just doesn't understand how these fucking things work yeah as someone who if i was writing a book would make this (laughs) fucking timetable that i've just made here it irritates me it just hurts me slightly anyway i will put the link to this timetable in the description and if you have any opinions or want to draw me a different timetable and try to make it work please do but the things you have to stick to if you want to make your own timetable is the two o'clock exam the five o'clock plan making the sunset at quarter past ten and the sunrise at quarter past four you have to stick to those and try to make your own timetable if you want to do it yourself enjoy nerds enjoy right shall we get into the rest of the chapter yeah so
1: dumbledore reappears and reassures him that there's, like, no lasting damage to anyone that he loves.
0: Yeah, and slightly before... Like, Harry's starting to feel, like, super suffocated in the room, so he's like, I'm going to leave, I'm going to go, I'm going to walk. And he's locked in the room, which I understand from a narrative standpoint and also from a Dumbledore standpoint, but it so mirrors what happened at the beginning of this book and Harry starting to feel a lot of terrible emotions because Mm. he was locked in. It so mirrors sirius's emotions why his emotions were so heightened because he was locked in and also harry starts to feel suffocated because in his own words it's his fault sirius died and he doesn't even realize about the mirror yet it's not until the next chapter he realizes but he also describes his grief as a terrible hollow inside of him where sirius used to be and throughout this chapter and i'll like keep bringing it up but jk rowling describes grief in such a raw realistic way which i'm almost glad i read read as a child because i can see why we all related Mm. to this because when i come back to it as an adult who has grieved it's so realistic it's so obviously she's grieved in such a personal way and she's put that into her writing and i'm i'm really glad she did she didn't sugarcoat grieving because it's Mm. it's horrible to read for a 15 year old to, to be going through this but then most teenagers have to learn to grieve in some way like i think this is why the book's helped a lot of people because Mm. it tackled these issues in a very real way. But yeah, then Dumbledore appears and he's like, all the other kids are fine. Also, I'm going to start speaking in like big metaphors rather than actual helpful sentences. Yeah,
1: I wrote that he does a shit job of comforting Harry.
0: Like he tells him that his
1: pain is human. And whilst I understand the sentiment, it's not entirely helpful in this moment, Dumbledore. like what Dumbledore is saying is,
0: correct and he's right but the the half an hour to an hour to the day to the week to the month after grief is not the time you need to be hearing that this pain you're feeling means you have the ability to love that's something that comes in later stages of grief you don't want someone to be like but it's normal it's
1: normal that you're upset right now you're like fuck off like fuck off but it's, it's it's so unconstructive. Like, Harry isn't concerned about his humanity right now. No, He's confer- concerned about the fact that he's lost someone that he loves and that other people that he
0: loves, you know. Yeah. I love the sentiment of what Dumbledore is saying. And I truly believe he's right that the pain that Harry is feeling is what sets him apart from Voldemort and what makes us in many ways, human Mm. and the ability to love and feel. But it's not fucking helpful an hour after death and it's not fucking up for a week after death. Like, we know that the stages of trauma and grief exist for a reason. It's not helpful. And the thing that, like, brings that home is when Dumbledore arrives, Harry's trying to ignore him. So he looks out of the window and catches sight of the Quidditch pitch. And he thinks, a really mundane thought, he thinks that he never asked Sirius is if Harry was as good at playing Quidditch Mm. as James was. And this hurt me deep in my soul because it's one of those things when you're grieving, you're trying to live your everyday life because as an adult, you don't get the time to just exist in your Mm. grief. You have to carry on your everyday life and that's life and you have to. And then you see things that remind you of that person and you think... It just makes you question things... That are so mundane of like, oh, I should have asked them that. And Harry just thinking this mundane thought really hurt me. It's like that line that Taylor Swift wrote in her song Marjorie of, I should have kept every grocery store receipt. Yeah. Because it's just like that mundanity is what you'll cherish one day. Yeah.
1: He does a similar thing when Dumbledore passes that he starts to think of all the things that he didn't ask him. Yeah. But like, in a in a way this kind of annoys me that he thinks this and that it's and don't get me wrong i think it's so easy when someone passes to think about all the missed opportunities and all the things you never said or asked but it's like okay but you think that you would take a lesson from that especially harry and i understand why he's self-centered but he is a self-centered little shit yeah he doesn't learn anything from this it's like oh harry oh what you want to know how your quidditch skills compare to your father. If only there was someone you could ask. Imagine if there there was someone you could ask. Someone that you know. Someone that's still, that's still alive for now. Imagine if you could ask them. Go ask them. Why aren't you going to ask? Like, ask yeah. Lupin. I know. Why? Or you Hagrid. Like... Or Dumbledore. Yeah. Ask someone you're like, oh, I really wish that I'd Sirius. seriousness. Ask Lupin. Yeah, like, I know. Because what if Lupin dies? Like, does. you what have. One Dumbledore dies. And he does. But, <laughs> like, you have at this point, like the one now lupin is the one true connection to his dad in terms of someone that knew him on that level because yes whilst like dumbledore and snape and hagrid did know him it's like you have one of his closest friends left and this is the closest thing this is like the only person on the planet that knew him really really well yeah and you could go and you could sit down with him and you could ask all of the questions and this is the only way you were Ever gonna know about your father? Yeah, and this will end the moment that Lupin dies, and it's likely that Lupin will die because one, he's a werewolf, and two, he's in the Order of the Phoenix. That Harry is still you so never... young
0: that he doesn't. But you think he would learn that... by this? I'm just I like, know. oh my god!
1: Please just sit Lupin down and get this information. But this you is
0: can. this is the naivety of Harry that he still doesn't believe that Lupin will die. He still thinks he has time when he when the clock is already ticking, and and he doesn't have time. Harry is naive in thinking he has time with these adults yeah. when he doesn't and also he in book six is so busy. He's so busy with school and and with and with teaching from Dumbledore because he and he thinks he has time to learn from Lupin and it's fucking heartbreaking. Like I'm I, agreeing with you. It's just I guess but and, it, I and just, it ties into that whole thing of always thinking you'll have more time with someone.
1: You always think you will. Yeah. I guess, but regardless of like thinking that you have more time with someone, like, yes, that is a thing, but I'm just like If my parents had died when I was too young to know them, I could not imagine meeting anyone, let alone, like, two people that knew them so well and not immediately having a thousand questions. Like, imagine not knowing anything about your parents. You would want to know everything about them. Mm. And Harry at no point sits anyone down is like... What did they like to drink? What was their favourite colour? What were their personalities like? But He meets all of these people that are like, oh my God, you, you have
0: your mother's eyes. And at no point is he like, yeah. What were her hobbies? I wonder if some of that is tied into Jekyll just not wanting to do that, or some of it is actually tied into his abuse. He suffered with the Dursleys, where he was not allowed to ask a single question. I mean, he yeah. was banned from asking questions. Yeah, but in my I head, doubt that she. When he that then she... meets people that opens up to him, he would want to ask a thousand questions. Yeah,
1: I doubt that she put that much thought. I like, I, I enjoy that as like a like kind of you know. Narrative theory, uh, you know? explanation, but I doubt she actually put that much thought into it. And I understand that you can't include every conversation and tackle every subject in a book. At the end of the day, this is a book about wizards. You can't in you can't include every single deep conversation, but yeah. it- you can't not include that and then drag it up when a character is lost. Yeah, as like a emotional pain point, and not have a single lesson learned from that. If you're going to use it as this, oh boohoo, you should cry because he didn't ask him this. You can't then not have the character learn from that
0: yeah yeah no definitely like we don't see enough of Harry like he almost in some chapters acts obsessed with his parents but doesn't follow that through in other chapters and Sirius would have been and Lupin would have been so overjoyed to answer any question yeah. that they had any, any fucking question from the yeah. mundanity of what was their favourite colour to what was their favourite food to eat yeah. at
1: dinner and there's the thing I'm sure especially in that summer they had a grim old place like I'm sure that there were many like boozy dinners where like Lupin and Sirius probably just told Harry loads of shit about his parents yeah. like over dinner and like had a few drinks and we were like reminiscing and we don't see it and I do understand because like you know we're being hypocrites I guess because we're complaining about the length of like Order of the Phoenix and then we're like but why? <laughs> didn't you include
0: like stories? Every single that... conversation.
1: Uh, I don't know. I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. Because it's not even reference. You don't have to include the details, but you just have to say, and then Harry had a lovely conversation with Sirius and Lupin all about his parents over but dinner. But instead we
0: get the trauma of Mad-Eye being like, here's some people that died in a picture. Exactly.
1: <laughs> and that still doesn't inspire Harry to be like, maybe I should and ask also... about these people. <laughs>
0: learns in this chapter that his parents thrice defeated Voldemort and never does he ask Lupin no. what were the three times? <gasps> I'm like, could someone d- please what explain to- the three times? Because Dumbledore was like, you've defeated him four times. I'm like, okay, well, someone please fucking explain to me the three times because if I was their kid, I'd want to know yeah. the details. And they were 21. And we must assume that all of these happened
1: after they finished school. So this was on average, one per year that they were defeating Voldemort. Please, someone explain this to me. <laughs> yeah, like, that's mental as fuck. And, and Harry's just, just
0: like, oh, yeah, I defeated Voldemort. doesn't him.
1: ask? It just makes him come across because we criticise Harry as not giving a shit about anyone aside from himself. And I think that's just down to bad writing. But that just seems like such a glaring thing that he's like, oh, my parents defeated him three times. I've done it four. And
0: we've (laughs) never learned canonically what that three times is. And partly I think that's J.K. Rowling's intention because she wants to keep a Marauder story in her back pocket to whip out at some point. Mm. We know she probably does. And that's why it isn't revealed in the text. (laughs) Lily would have been pregnant for the third time. (laughs) (laughs) Someone please explain oh my god! so Dumbledore's yeah like being like a grief counsellor but not a good one Harry starts
1: (sighs) to smash it which like absolute mood the
0: line where he screams Dumbledore says this pain is what it is to be human and Harry says then I don't want to be human like Mm. I know jk rowling has been through a lot of grief and you can see it in the way that mm. harry is reacting that moment where you're so absorbed by grief that you don't want to exist you want don't want to be human and it also really reminded me of because harry potter was coming out a similar time to doctor who i don't remember what episode it is but there's this episode where doctor who is talking to the daleks and he's like no that's what makes humans human mm. like that is what it is to be human that pain yeah like it's probably when like rose is dying or something i yeah. don't know Yeah. And we've also rarely seen Harry lose it. Like, we saw it a bit at the beginning of this book with him kind of getting angry at Ron Hermione. But this is him losing it. Like, losing Mm. it. And it's just like, oh my God. What Harry is going
1: through right now is like, imagine if you just lost like your closest relative. Yeah. And then you found, like, you just, you were in like a white room with like nothing else. It was just you. You just lost your relative that, for whatever reason, you blamed yourself for losing them. And it was just you alone in this room. And the only other thing in the room was a pile of fortune cookies <laughs> that every time you snapped them open, just said some pretentious bullshit yeah. about how to feel pain as human. And oh, that cool. was all you had. <laughs>
0: Fuck off. Like, Like when I'm in the deep pain of grieving, I don't want someone to be like, this is what it feels like to love. Fuck off. Fuck off.
1: Just so you know what you're going through right now. It's huge. So valid. It's what makes
0: you a man.
1: Oh my god. We have all been through this, babes.
0: Ah! Dumbledore is terrible at handling someone's grief. So
1: Harry literally tries to run away from his problems. And he says...
0: Oh, the line that made me want to cry. He says, I've had enough. I've seen enough. And I know I just said that most teenagers do experience grief. And that's true. Yeah. But Harry's been through so much shit. And when he says, I've had enough. I've seen enough. I felt that. Like, run yeah. away. Run away. Go hide in the mountains, babe. Because you've mm-hmm. been through too much. You're 15. Yeah. If I, honestly, I was reading this, like, if I could take that pain for you, I would. Because you're 15. You don't deserve to be feeling this. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, he tries to escape.
1: <laughs> yeah, tries to leave, but door's locked. Uh, Dumbledore finally is like, it's my fault. It's
0: like, you could have led with that. Yeah. He also says that I know how you feel. And Harry's like, you don't. And it, Dumbledore does actually know how he's feel because he's lost all his close family members in But he doesn't ways. share that. But, yeah, I wrote that, like, never, ever in the before this during this or after this as dumbledore offered harry his family history to help harry learn to empathize with grief and understand that other people have been through this so why should harry believe this fucking line that i understand how you feel yeah harry is right to be mad at this because when has dumbledore ever given him reason to believe he understands his grief yeah and
1: i understand dumbledore wanting to put like a distance like a certain barrier not at this point but explain it's like it. he then goes on to have a conversation about how his like weakness weakness
0: is caring for him. He's like, bitch, it's too late. Yeah. It's Too fucking late. Honestly, it really irritated me when Dumbledore's like, I know how you feel. Like, I know you do, but like, fucking explain it to him. Yeah. So you're more specific, bitch. Dumbledore is like, it is almost entirely my fault that Sirius is dead. Which, good. Finally, you are doing something good in this mm. chapter because the guilt that Harry is feeling is going to kill him. Yeah, So... He says that he should have told Harry what Voldemort might do that night, as Mm -hmm. in he might lure him to the ministry, so therefore it's his fault that Harry went and not Harry's. And he says the line, old men are guilty if they forget what it is to be young. And oh, it's so good. It's so well written (laughs) so this chapter is so well written It's so good yeah the way it just unpacks the layers and layers and layers of plot and the layers of grief and hidden things and it is true that like we all think when we're teenagers that we know best
1: oh i i knew best then i still know best now
0: but as you get older, do you not think you forget what it is to be a teenager?
1: I have had absolutely no character development since I was, like, 14. Sure, yeah. So. No. None. <laughs> I've not learned a single lesson. It's true. Good,
0: right. <laughs> in this moment after Dumbledore says this, Harry is silent. And he says he sees the deep line in Dumbledore's face as the light from the dawn hits him. Oh my God, I love this line. Because Harry for the first time in all five books is seeing Dumbledore as a human man, not as a godlike figure, not as this person that can solve everything. He is seeing him as a man who is flawed, who has made mistakes and is old and going to die soon. Yeah. I just love the way it's written as the dawn light hits him, it's so good. It turns out Dumbledore was worried The this entire book that Voldemort would use Harry as a spy into what Dumbledore was doing if they thought, if Voldemort thought that Harry and Dumbledore were close. Yeah. He so, didn't want to give him a reason to possess him. Exactly. So Dumbledore purposely kept him at arm's length. I was literally reading this chapter out loud and making notes of what was happening because I feel like I forget this chapter quite a lot like the details of it so I was like noting it down really specifically Mm.
1: especially because a lot of it just feels like like we knew it from the start and it's so difficult to remind
0: yourself that you didn't exactly so then I questioned what Voldemort would have used Harry for Dumbledore later says that the end game wouldn't have been to use Harry to kill Dumbledore but to use Harry in a way, so that Dumbledore killed Harry. Yeah. But it would have actually been a really clever ca- tactic of Voldemort, which I think would have been his tactic, is for him to possess Harry to try to kill Dumbledore, knowing Voldemort possessing Harry through Harry's body couldn't have done it, and Dumbledore in self defence would have to kill Harry. Mm. That's a fucking clever plan. That's yeah. a good. That's a good plan. That's an evil good plan.
1: Yeah. It's a win win yeah. situation because and I think putting either- it like that, you can see well v- why Dumbledore yeah. avoided it.
0: Yeah, because for Dumbledore it was a lose lose situation because yeah. if Voldemort possessed Harry in that way, either Harry, possessed by Voldemort, kills Dumbledore, or Dumbledore is forced to kill Harry hmm. because he's about to murder him.
1: Yeah. Wow.
0: Like yeah. what other choice did he do? what other choice did he have but then it's
1: kind of hypocritical when it's like Dumbledore claims that he knew all along that Harry's strength is love but like seemingly didn't believe that that would be enough to expel Voldemort from his body
0: but was it because in that moment Harry was grieving
1: I like to think of it just like in general that Harry has the capacity to love and Voldemort doesn't and Voldemort cannot stand to be around it like you know what it actually really reminds me of it reminds me of War of the Worlds you know when the aliens die because they can't deal with just like the common bacteria of like planet Earth.
0: No, because I haven't. Oh. I haven't. I'm sorry.
1: It's good. Okay. Well, you've already had that spoiler, but <laughs> I'm mean, amazed you haven't seen this, this. This like massive cultural like point.
0: I mean, my mum has talked to me about it a
1: lot. I do know yeah. most of the spoilers, but yeah, like aliens invade Earth. Sure like pretty much kill almost everyone the remaining humans are like hiding and then like a few months in just all of the aliens die because they just can't deal with like the common cold or just like the general bacteria Mm. which was really impressive when like HG Wells was writing this it was like not a time where like that much was known about it in terms of like bacteria and stuff so I believe I could be completely wrong with that but I don't think that that much was really known about it so it was like a very forward thinking where thinking but yeah these just like aliens could not deal with the earth bacteria so they and this is how I've always interpreted this with Voldemort is that like love is a bacteria where he could not even stand to be in Harry for a second because like the love was too much
0: but I suppose Dumbledore can't like test that theory so like that's a risky strategy it is to be like oh well I'll
1: I'll just go for it. It is. what if but, it doesn't work? But I guess that's when you kind of have that as the plan B and the plan A should have been actually Dumbledore teaching him. Oh,
0: absolutely. Uh, he should have. And Dumbledore what's says it he's, called? Th- this whole chapter is about how Dumbledore was yeah wrong. Yeah, for sure. So Dumbledore knew it was vital for Harry to learn occlumency so this possession didn't happen. But in an attempt to protect Harry, he chose not to do it himself and to gal- delegate it to Snape. And in keeping this from Harry, in never telling Harry anything about this, anything about why, anything about anything and why Dumbledore couldn't teach it himself, it resulted basically in the same ends while putting more people at risk. If Harry had known about this from the beginning, yes, Dumbledore would have been at more risk, but Harry wouldn't have risked his five friends' life, the five people from the Order that turned up, including Sirius. He only would have risked himself. So the same ends are met, but with ten more people at risk and Sirius died Mm. and the others are severely injured. And Dumbledore was trying to do what was right for the greater good and it ended up causing more harm and it's... Yeah. But neither decision was right because there was no right decision. Yeah. It's good. I wrote that Dumbledore almost didn't predict this because Dumbledore's main flaw, along with the other flaws he has, but his main flaw is that he often forgets That people, mainly Harry, are a human with feelings and not a pawn in a chess game that you can put somewhere and say that will work Hmm. and not consider that their feelings of their reprogression will cause wider ripples and affect a lot more around them and cause worse ends than what you were trying to prevent. Yep. 'Cause it's like even if he couldn't have been
1: like face to face with Harry or something, he could have like sent him a note exactly. to explain that. Exactly. Rather than like or psychologically to Mag-
0: torturing him. Or explain it to McGonagall. To explain yeah. it to Hagrid to explain it to Lupin to explain it. He didn't it to have him. to just completely
1: not communicate. Like no, all it was doing was methods. psychologically torturing Harry.
0: Yeah, and in a lot of way, Dumbledore, because however much he's separated himself from the greater good, he still views life as from the greater good, mm. sees people as pawns. Yeah. And that's why Dumbledore is such a good character, but yeah. he sees people as pawns. I know, and that that's he why manipulate. he needs to get over his pawn addiction. Well, quite. <laughs> Bam. Bam. <laughs> so, Harry's like, but creature, and I was like, creature-eyed... Um, (laughs) So Creature has been serving Narcissa Malfoy since Christmas. Who would have seen that coming? Who would have seen that coming? Snape, when Harry said the cryptic message at him, understood immediately. And when he was then watching the forest, and when Harry and Hermione didn't return from the forest, he alerted the order. And this is the bit where... I need them to make a whole TV series rather than a film. And this is where I have like a whole directorial scene planned out, okay? So the timings may not work according to my time tool, but I don't care. Um, So Harry goes into the forest and Snape's been alerted and Snape's like watching the forest and Harry doesn't appear and ignore how long it takes a thigh on the festivals just ignore that and then we have dual scenes, okay? So Harry is, like, going through the ministry at the same time as Snape is like, something is wrong, something is wrong. So he's working out how to alert the order, and then Harry is walking down the passage in the Department of Mysteries with all his friends, and he's like, I'm going to find Sirius, I'm going to find Sirius, and Snape is heading to the order house, and he's like, I've got to find Sirius. Like, I've got to alert the order. And then, like, you've got dual scenes going on, and it's the end of the episode, and then as Harry rounds on the end of the aisle you see serious, mm. but it's not Harry seeing Sirius, it's yeah. Snape seeing serious And you can Sirius. do the thing where
1: you have the camera turning the corner,
0: yeah. and as it turns a corner between the
1: aisles and the Department of Mystery, it turns a corner in the... Grimmauld uh, Place, Place and you see Sirius and it like at the blends table. into one thing yeah. but yeah then
0: you see him in, oh. and as Sirius looks at Snape even though they are enemies Sirius realises something is wrong because yeah. Snape is there yeah. and Sirius's face drops and then the camera continues to turn and you see Harry as he realises that Sirius is not there and then it cuts and then you get the music and yeah. oh my it god does, it makes me wonder
1: how the film's missed on that honestly like, like there are so many bits on that that you <laughs> Just think of just like obvious, yeah, like to me that is
0: gold. That obvious. is cinematic
1: gold, and they just they just didn't go for it. Can you imagine such like a missed
0: panning?
1: Yeah, it's like they didn't want to do anything like outside the fantasy genre. I know. So they just stuck with that, and it's like no, because the best adaptations take from multiple genres, and Harry Potter fits into so much more than just the fantasy zo- genre. So, ah. Like, oh. Frustrating.
0: I know, yeah. I have that all planned out, how I want it in my head. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, it includes Alan Rickman, which... Uh. So, Snape tried to insist that Sirius did not go with them to Mm. the ministry, but Sirius insists on going while Snape searches the forest. So we know that Snape was actually, like, trying to save Harry. He searched the whole damn forest in case he didn't leave. But Sirius delegated telling... Dumbledore, where they went, to Creature, so when Dumbledore arrived at his Creature's job to tell Dumbledore, Dumbledore, who knows legitimacy, forces out of Creature, that it was a plot all along to entice Harry to the Ministry, to injure Buckbeak to look like Sirius was not in Grimauld Place, to Harry... Because Creature has been working for Narcissa the whole time and the key information he passed on Narcissa, he couldn't pass most of the order information, but what he could pass on, which Mm. Sirius did not deem relevant enough information to hide, was how much Sirius and Harry loved each
1: other. Yeah. Sorry, but whilst you were going on about that, my brain was still, like, picturing out, like, the film scene. Yep, yep. yeah. Yep, and yep. I have something to add to oh, it. Oh, please do. I feel like the moment that it becomes immediately obvious should not necessarily be when it reveals Sirius sitting there. Okay. Because I think that Sirius should be sitting there okay. on a chair on relatively a chair. in the dark.
0: Okay. So that you're kind of But we like... know that four others, that with Tonks, Kingsley and Lupin are acrimal places established. But, like, they don't have to be there in the shot.
1: Okay, okay. Like it's cinemagraphic lighting sure, sure, so sure. it should be in the way where it's like if you looked at the like background and stuff you you're could not be like, sure yes. which
0: in yeah yeah
1: but like if you looked in detail you can be like yes this is like Grimal Place." but when it's at a first glance for like uh you know it's literally going to be like a shot for like a second or two like a beat or two that you're like okay we've turned the corner and we're expecting to see Sirius sitting on a chair and we see him sitting on a chair it shouldn't be until the camera pans back around to snape, snape that you staring realize it's not him, the right chair that it's not the right yeah, chair yeah no
0: 100 that's how i envisaged it but it's like you would see the background, but like cinemographically just but yeah, just you make it. You see what you, see what to you expect
1: it. to see and it's not until it pans around and you because see also, Snape that Ciri- you're like, But also no! that would work
0: because like Sirius and Snape are so panicked they forget everyone else around them. In the same way that yeah. Pride and Prejudice, during the romance scene, they cut the rest of the ballroom out yeah. because all they care about are each and other. And it also,
1: it works to shoot Grimal Place in like a dark low light just because yeah. it's like a creepy fucking and then,
0: place. And then it works cinemographically to switch from... Snape, although he knows that this is right, still shocked face to Harry because Snape and Harry are linked, although they are opposite sides of the coin are linked literally a lot of ways. So yeah. to switch from Snape's horror-struck face that Sirius is there and he is right and they have to go to Harry's shocked face that he has led his friends to yep. his death and Sirius yep. is not there. And then it
1: makes the timeline make more sense that if these happened at the same time... Oh, yeah. That then that gives the order, okay, they need to assemble enough people to go safely, that then they have that time to get their shit together, which is the exact same time that shit starts to go down between
0: like the DA and yeah, the Death it makes eaters. the timeline make
1: more sense. It makes it make more sense.
0: Um, excuse me, we need to be advisory on the TV adaptation of Harry Potter. If Absolutely. this doesn't happen, then it's a travesty. Also, we copyright everything we just <laughs> said yeah. Don't fucking steal it. Pay us, bitch. <laughs> Pay us, bitch. If someone tries to steal that in the future, I'm suing. So Creature was like the, not baddie, but yeah. Creature told the information to Narcissa that Sirius didn't deem important so Sirius and Harry loved each other uh, the heart. Hermione is brought up as being right three times in this chapter, verbally. Like, Harry says to Dumbledore, yeah, Hermione said that. Yeah, Hermione was right about that. And it's almost painful because it's like, it's when Harry should have listened. But Hermione is pragmatically right in some ways and Harry is more emotionally dreaded. So that doesn't necessarily mean that he should have believed her or listened to her. But it's painful where three separate times he has to say... Yeah, Hermione was right about that. Dumbledore then, because they're talking about creature, criticizes Sirius' as treatment of creature and compares creature to Dobby because Harry's like, I hate creature, he's fucking scum of the earth. And Dumbledore's like, he's much like your friend Dobby. Mm. He is what he is made by wizards. Yeah, I love everything about house elves in Mm -hmm. these books what you love slaves yes I love enslavement in my children's fantasy books no I love the metaphors that are carried through throughout Mm -hmm. the books this whole thing about how are what they are made by wizards is proved in book 7 where Harry shows kindness creature and creature ends up becoming essential in their fight against Voldemort and Dobby even more essential because Harry shaped Dobby's treatment Mm. of Wizards. It's like it's so
1: infuriating. It's like, take a human being, right? If you constantly like spoke down to them, insulted them, swore at them, kicked them, they're probably not gonna be great to you. Not gonna be very loyal to you, are they? So, like, what does it take to like what what like how was this rocket science for Harry and Sirius?
0: Like Well, Harry, because he was mistreated as a child. Has always been kind, basically, to house elves. He wasn't
1: really to Creature, though. He wasn't mean, but he was, like, very neutral. But
0: this is why I almost really like what they gave Sirius and Creature, because Dumbledore even says, Sirius was not a cruel man. He was generally kind to house elves. He was not the Lucius Malfoys Mm. of this world, where he was abusive towards house elves. Yeah, it's because it was a reminder (gasps) of his family. But it's like these... it's, It's kind of a story of how the ripple effects... Like, Harry Potter is all about the ripple effects. Yeah.
1: And I get that, but it's just that, like, it's Harry now hearing this where it's like, why, like...
0: Because Harry, and I wrote this down, is martyring Sirius in his grief. And that is a normal stage of yeah. the grieving process. And it's too soon for Harry to be able to but, view but Sirius... But he should have
1: seen this before when he fucking should've. Hermione saw it. Oh, Hermione Hermione saw it, knew what was she absolutely knew this no, but was gonna happen that's the thing
0: harry does know this he said two sentences ago hermione said we should be kind to creature he does know this but in the, this moment he feels the need to defend sirius because when a member of your family has died you feel the need to defend them and martyr them like especially a young person like i've been through this in my family like when a young person dies you feel the need to be like well everything they did was perfect and they were an angel at everything like this mm. and that's not a necessarily wrong thing because it's a fucking tragedy when someone dies before their time but that is not to say that everything they ever did and every move they ever made in life was perfect Yeah, but families and people that love them have a tendency to do that because it's the only way to cope with the grief that you lost someone too soon Yeah, and that's what Harry's going through it's mm-hmm. so heartbreaking mm-hmm. <laughs> So then Harry is like, well, fuck you for accusing Sirius. I'm going to accuse Snape. Here we go. <laughs> uh. I'm going to say Snape was goading Sirius out of the house. And Dumbledore says, Sirius was much too old and too wise to fall for that. Nope. No. no. Uh, did you meet the man? Oh, my God. Like, Dumbledore is so wrong. Yeah. He was a 37-year-old man, which is still fucking young. trapped in the mind of a 22-year-old. Yeah,
1: who arguably, maybe even younger, given that when he was 22, he was still at war. That's still stunting to, like... Well, yeah, I actually said a war-torn 22-year-old. It's it's both maturing and stunting at the same time. Yeah,
0: and Dumbledore failed to understand this throughout his entire life. Yeah, And also, Dumbledore constantly put teenagers in the line of fire, and I understand that this is repetition of what happened in real life in World War I and World War II Mm. of the main... Fucking cannon fodder yeah. being teenagers and young adults. Like I do understand because but there's a reason for that, and the reason for that is because that is the age that the fucking propaganda works best on mm. of you need to fight because it's it's what the cause is for. And Dumbledore used this to advantage. He raised teenage soldiers.
1: Yeah. I mean, we know that like Dumbledore is the king of like gaslight girl boss gatekeep. Mm. And he's literally gaslighting here. He's, like, gaslighting the fact that, like, no, absolutely not. Like, Sirius was not like this. Like, he's defending Sirius by gaslighting Harry.
0: Yeah. He's like, he was old enough to realise this was wrong. He was old enough in age, but he was not old enough in mental maturity. Absolutely not. He's saying that Sirius was old enough to not fall for Snape's goading. Yeah. Everything we have witnessed textually, Sirius always fell for Snape's goading. And, like harry witnessed this yeah
1: dumbledore didn't Didn't. exactly he's literally gaslight girl boss gatekeeping him
0: because that's what it takes in this chapter to get harry
1: back on his side he has in this in the in these two chapters he is gaslit about sirius yep he has gatekeeped the information about the prophecy oh yeah and he has girl bossed when he was like you know what fudge I address your mail to the headmaster. Literally. Is Dumbledore Molly May?
0: (laughs) We all have the same 24 hours. (laughs) We can all be Dumbledore if we applied ourselves. No, I wrote a whole paragraph about how like, Dumbledore, even in this moment, is manipulating Harry to forgive him so he can use him again in the next book.
1: I already have the episode titles for the two episodes we've recorded tonight. The first one is going to be, is Cornelius Fudge Boris? And then the second one is going to be, is Dumbledore Molly (laughs) May? May.
0: Oh no, but then we need to release this now for SEO purposes. Also, (laughs) no one is going to be Googling, is
1: Dumbledore Molly May?
0: So Dumbledore says, Sirius's disregard for creature as a being with feelings is more dangerous than Snape's hatred. And this is just a fantastic line in general, whether Dumbledore understands Sirius's feelings and emotions or not, because he brings up the fountain, which is where it gets a little bit heavy-handed with mm. the metaphors. Um, and he says that men have reaped the rewards of harming those less powerful than them for too long, and now we are paying the price. And Harry interprets this as Sirius paying the price, but what he isn't really seeing is the bigger picture. Of Voldemort paying the price and that symbolism of Harry hiding behind and being helped by those creatures that are less fortunate for him because Harry has the capacity to love, understand and empathise with them and Voldemort mm-hmm. does not. And this is where Harry's inherent power comes in because he is saved by the centaurs, the goblins and the house elves mm-hmm. in the final book. And it's a little bit heavy-handed with this whole statue thing, but I do love it because yeah. it's a book for children. Like, I just I, 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 just really like it. And Harry, in this moment, in his grief, interprets this as a slight against Sirius, but it isn't because Sirius's issue with creature was personal. And although Sirius was in the wrong for that, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that Sirius was inherently a bad person. Yeah. I guess
1: it's the same thing where if you have beef with anyone that's a minority, it's not that you have beef with the entire minority. Yeah it's it, it's that one specific person. Yeah. It would be like saying, oh, you don't get along with this one person. You must hate everyone off the same ethnicity.
0: No. No. Yeah. But Dumbledore equates what happens to Sirius because of his hatred of Creature, because what Creature does, even though it's a personal beef, is an inherent part of Creature's nature as a house self. So they're like, mm. that's where it becomes like, it's personal, but there was, there was always going to be ties to that yeah. minority well, and less privileged background. Yeah, but
1: once again, I'm like, take any human and the way that you treat them will reflect on how they treat you. 100%. Like, it, yeah. this is not like even a house elf thing. This is just
0: a thing. But this is what annoys me about the end of the books in general because in this book we get this deep analysis of the statue yeah. and about how wizards treat those less fortunate than them. And this continues into book seven. Harry is saved canonically by the centaurs, the goblins and the yeah. house in book seven. And then at the end of book seven we have no canonical information about the change in fabric of wizarding society even though she wrote an epilogue. And she yeah. didn't have to write the epilogue but she did write the epilogue. But she wrote the epilogue just to write about the children. So instead of writing that epilogue, to write about the change in the fabric of wizarding society, which Dumbledore is clearly saying in this chapter, if society doesn't change, the cycle continues. Dumbledore is saying that. And Mm. yet we never learn canonically that this cycle is not broken by Harry and his friends. And that fucking irritates me.
1: Yeah, was it last episode I was talking about *Name of the Wind*? I know I'm bringing it up yes, again. Yes, it was
0: last episode. Uh,
1: something else that he said. Uh, the author of *Name of the Wind*, which for anyone that wants to know is Patrick Rothfuss, mm. but he has a brilliant quote. Which I actually, when I read it, I had to um, text Connor about it, and I was like, Oh I was like, I have a bunch of things that I want to say, but I don't want to like ruin the book, so I like tried to talk to him about a bit about it. But it like, it ties in very much to what we've said about before mm. in terms of the households and about how that storyline is just never tied up so he said some of J.K. Rowling's politics are deeply prob- problematic also i believe this quote was given before she came out as a transphobe i could be wrong okay some of J.K. Rowling's politics are deeply problematic given the reach of her books i felt for a long time that especially given they were targeted towards children i just never felt like she was really a very ethical story storyteller never really seemed to think about the long-term consequences of some of the things that she included. So he, like, singles out, specifically, like, the Hogwarts houses, like, never really kind of being wrapped up, which we've also made the same point. Yeah. Um. Uh, and he calls them, like, accidentally unhelpful things. And I love that a mm. lot. Yeah. Like, Especially because I read that and I was just like, and I read that like a couple of chapters into Name of the Wind. And I was like, I can already tell that I'm going to love his book because we literally have that made that same point about the Hogwarts houses, about the house elves. She starts these storylines that she is not prepared to finish and she does not fucking finish them.
0: Yeah. Like this chapter goes so in depth on that the wizard's mistreatment of creatures they deem as less human than them. Is what will be their downfall, and then refuses to wrap up that storyline apart from how it relates to Harry and how it relates to Ron and Hermione getting together. Yeah, like I, d- I will die on the hill of Ron and Hermione, but that is not how you wrap up the fucking House Elf storyline. That's mm. the last fucking note on it. Yeah, uh, it's like oh slavery,
1: and then two white people got together. Thanks. It's like Just she literally used <laughs> slavery. As a plot point
0: to make romance happen. I love Ron Hermione, but you're making it hard, Joe. Oh, you're making it hard. It's
1: so <laughs> bad. Oh,
0: and yeah, that's the thing. Like, I understand the whimsy of the way she started off the first mm. book with the with the houses. But she didn't introduce the House of Still book four. With yeah. the specific intention with Hermione starting spew of being like, this is an issue I have to deal with. And then another. have the... Guts to finish it off, and not just households but goblins and centaurs and and all the other races. She brings this in like this is going to be a big thing. And yes, they help Harry. Dobby dies for Harry, the centaurs turn up at the final battle. The goblin, whose name I forget, helps him break into the ministry, then turns his back on them at the last minute. This is all important to Harry's relation to these other creatures. But then, fair enough, if she didn't write an epilogue, fine, but she did write an epilogue but only so she could tell us who everyone had married and the name of their children. If you're going to write an epilogue, please tell us how the fabric of wizarding society has changed, mainly in terms of the Hogwarts houses and the relation to magical creatures. Yep. Because I've got it in my head how I want to see it, and that's my head canon, and I'm happy to share that with the podcast when we get to that point. Mm. But that's not actually what's written in the text. It's like, have you actually uh,
1: dismantled... These systems of inequality. No. And as Dumbledore said, these cycles will continue until you do. Yep. Like Voldemort was a product of this society. And you're just keeping the exact formula that made him? Like, really? Really? She didn't write a romance book. She's not a good writer. She fundamentally did not write a romance book. And then she wrote an epilogue where the only questions that it answered was... Who ends up with who? Yeah. It's like, funnily enough, I did not read these books to find out if four characters with very little chemistry ended up together.
0: And fair enough, that had been the background point to us. the answer of how wizarding, the fabric of wizarding society had changed. Fair enough if you'd put in that and Ron and Hermione, who were married at this point with two kids... Lovely. If Harry and Ginny were married at this point with three kids, lovely, great. I'm happy now. They've all ended up happy because at the end of the day, they all live traumatic lives and do deserve whatever happiness comes to them yep. in whatever form they feel that. If that's having children young, that's fucking fair enough to them. But it's not fair that we don't find out how the fabric of Wizarding society is changing. Yeah. Getting angry and then like, move on.
1: It was such a like liberal take that in the epilogue, she was like, "You know what? It doesn't matter what your personality is like." All personalities are valid, as opposed to being like, hey, maybe we shouldn't say people based on their personality. One defining characteristic trait as if they can't possibly overlap.
0: Hey, I'm only one child after two abusive people in my life. That sounds a good message, right?
1: Right? I swear to God, I was not one of those people. I'm having more booze. I need it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we can crack into the vodka.
1: <laughs> I... We're getting to the end of the book. This was bound to happen. <laughs> I never had an issue. With the epilogue,
0: oh my head! No, I've never like, been one of those people that's angry about it. People, yeah, I feel like people started off
1: from the minute of publishing hating no, it.
0: I've never been that person. I was
1: never one of those people. Oh, I'm glad we're on the same wave. Like until this podcast,
0: <laughs> I still don't
1: no, hate what? it. Now I do. Now I do. It's fully just made me be like, what it. is what is the point in this? I, I know that you're like a massive Ron and Hermione stan. I am, but I am. just did not give enough shits about either couple that I'm now just like.
0: Eh, okay. I, I am. I I am a massive fan of them, but I don't feel that the point of the epilogue should have been the romances and the children that they had. That I would it's have, like. It's I would so have bizarre. wanted it as a side plot in it. I would have been upset if it wasn't a side plot in it. But it shouldn't have been the main fucking point. Yeah, it's like I'm sorry. Given what, that we just
1: at that point just got the satisfaction of Ron and Hermione getting together, at that point for me. I'm not worried about if they last 20 years and have kids. That's not on my mind. You get that satisfaction of, yes, they got together. Finally, slow burn, the slow we want burn it. is here. It was really romantic. Excellent. Love it. To me, my next thought is not, are they going to last 20 years and yeah. have children? Yeah.
0: I'm I satisfied don't with I don't how give a they got shit. together. I'm
1: enjoying it in the moment. They can break up in six weeks if they want, but I'm enjoying it in the moment. Like it doesn't, not all relationships have to end in children and marriage. And that doesn't make them any less valid. But she just did that. And it's just like, that's not what I needed from that. That's not, that wasn't what I wanted. I didn't need that confirmation that they fucking were end game. Like it doesn't make, romance and relationships any less valid if they're not. They don't end in that. We should get into this in the epilogue
0: episode. Probably. <laughs> but I'm just very angry about it. Yeah. No, that's valid. I have more feelings. I'm going to save them until the epilogue episode just so we don't spoil mm. them all. Now, Harry accuses Dumbledore of locking people up. Uh, including Beautiful. Him, including him and Sirius. Yes. Perfect. Go for it. Good. Attack this Go man. Go in. him come for blood. And then... Dumbledore says, I was trying to keep you alive. And oh my God, I love this chapter because it sets up so. Harry is so shocked. Yeah. In book seven, when he writes to Grindelwald, it's for the Muggles' greater good. But the hallmarks of Dumbledore making decisions for the greater good are all here. And I know Harry is in his grief, so he doesn't recognize them. But reading this back, I'm like, yeah. Dumbledore is a person who is all for the greater good. Now, that is not necessarily a bad thing, because would Voldemort been defeated in the timeframe he was without Dumbledore working for the greater good? Dumbledore is a fantastic character, whether we love him, hate him, whether he's a manipulative bastard, which he is. (gasps) Harry accuses Dumbledore of locking him up, and Dumbledore basically says it was for the greater good. It was to keep them alive. And I just love Dumbledore's character because Harry is a morally good person who would not have done that but that is not necessarily the right thing is Dumbledore if is Dumbledore did is Dumb, is what Dumbledore did the right thing no if it defeated Voldemort Jr. and therefore less people died yes no why if less nameless faceless as the quote is in the later chapter and I'll read it out when it comes to it because I wrote it down in full is not nameless faceless people including muggles not dying better than harry's mental health but i just think that they're one in the same like
1: i like i but you can't have both we don't live in an ideal world and you can't have both i don't i just why why can't you have both because
0: there isn't an answer with both because Voldemort created the world where there isn't a way to have both harry So you have to choose one
1: Harry goes through enough shit and he's gonna find out shit eventually. I just think tell him at the optimal time that will be good for him and save enough people. Like, I, 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 you're never gonna save him completely from this
0: pain. Yeah. So you believe so Dumbledore should have told him sooner?
1: Yeah. You're okay. just prolonging the pain. You're not making it go away. Yeah. You're prolonging it for selfish reasons that is only gonna cause deaths, case in point, serious.
0: Yeah. No, I I agree. But I sometimes don't believe the criticism that leveled on Dumbledore. I believe a lot of it is right, but I don't believe all of it is right because nameless and faceless people were always going to die.
1: It's like the classic train tracks.
0: Exactly. It is.
1: It is. But I don't know. To me, in this case, I'm just like, he could have told Harry. I think it's a disservice to Harry. And I also think that it's like, Sometimes not knowing things is so much worse for your mental health than the wondering. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, when you just go through that really like horrible, sicky, anxious, like not knowing phase of something. It's like the anxiety of the unknown is almost always worse than the the knowing.
0: Yeah, definitely. So I'm like, just tell him. Yeah. So all this is leading up to Dumbledore saying, sit down, Harry. I'm going to tell you everything which I remember so vividly gonna tell
1: you what I should have told you five five years years ago ago, which I remember
0: so vividly that was put on the blurb Mm. I remember it so vividly from the blurb because it's the first book I remember reading for the first time yeah like I read the others for the first time obviously but this is the one I have memories Mm. of waiting it for it to come out and reading it for the first time and I remember reading that blurb of sit down Harry I'm going to tell you everything what I should have told you five years ago and I was like "Ah!" yeah (laughs) So he admits that, okay, this is where we get into all the deep stuff and the prophecy. He admits that he knew Harry would suffer when he left him on the doorstep of Mm. number four Privet Drive. And this is where we get the first instance of Dumbledore's tendency to lean towards the greater good. He literally knew that Harry would be abused, but he would not die. So therefore he viewed that as a greater good than dropping him off with wizard parents. Because, mm. and this is a point I had never picked up on in the book, it wasn't just airy fairy blood magic of Petunia was Lily's sister and that would protect him. Dumbledore placed a charm on Harry which still exists till the beginning of book seven and he says a charm. I checked it. I checked it with Neil. I checked it online. Dumbledore places an actual magical charm on Neil that combines On Neil? On Neil. On Harry. Which combines Lily's blood sacrifice magic that she gave with Petunia and the home and creates A safe house where Voldemort cannot attack Harry. And I really like this. It's an actual piece of magic and not just some airy fairy like Voldemort. Just can't attack Harry because love. It's an actual piece of magic the Voldemort Dumbledore performed. It's not that I don't buy the magic and the charm.
1: It's that I don't buy that there is no equal or near equivalent. When we have like so much about how Hogwarts and Gringotts is like protected Mm. and safe Mm. and later on even after harry's protection breaks he goes to safe houses that are given all of this magical protection to keep him safe and i just think it's like admittedly yes dumbledore did not know when voldemort was going to come back but how it plays out is that he doesn't come back until he's like kind of near the end of his hogwarts education anyway so it's like he could have gone anywhere in those years and Voldemort was not a threat
0: but this is where I think Dumbledore is playing into the great good without telling Harry because and I think what the line is telling is he says you were not a pampered prince he did not want Harry to be a pampered prince and to think he was the son and the chosen one and the heir in some ways Dumbledore wanted Harry to arrive at Hogwarts not necessarily as abused as he was but with a sense of I'm not good enough I'm the outcast because he wanted him to, like, almost start on that back foot and learn. I understand that, but I just
1: think that there is a happy medium between, like, really spoiled child and really abused child. Oh, 100%. Um, I'm not saying... Dumbledore was
0: right yeah, in any way. I'm saying I, just, I think this was part of the plan.
1: I think that there are any number of wizarding families you could have given him to, like name the Weasleys, the Weasleys. <laughs> or fucking uh the neighbor with the cats.
0: Yeah, mrs Fake would have raised him. Yeah,
1: right? like there are. She so would have m- raised
0: him strict. She w- he would have yeah. been a good
1: boy. Yeah, there are so many families that you could have given him to and McGonagall. been involved in. McG- fucking McGonagall. Fucking
0: McGonagall would have raised him oh right. Oh my God. He,
1: he would have been less of a pampered prince and he even turned up like yeah. from the dead He would have been like, I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, without
1: being abused like, <laughs> Women are
0: amazing. I'm trash. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh
1: my God. He, yeah, he would have been great. He would have cared about other people. But like, I don't know. I, I do believe that there was like a level of magical protection. But like, my issue is he was never remotely attacked whilst at the, Dursleys. The closest thing was the Death Eaters, which, as we know, came from the government, not from Voldemort. To oh, me, you mean
0: the Dementors? The
1: yeah, the the Dementors. Sorry. Like I just. And yes, admittedly, Dumbledore didn't know. That was, you know, that's how it played out. It could have played out very different, yeah. differently. Voldemort could have come back in like five years rather than like 15 or whatever. But to me, it's just like when you then, it's like, oh, when he's at Hogwarts, he's safe. And like, and you know, whatever. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's like the level of like magical protection that they're able to put on other places that I'm like, whilst I appreciate that the whole, like, Lily Love magic would have been stronger. Mm. It's a bit like having a bunch of metal
0: and you're like, this metal is stronger than this metal, <laughs> but can you punch through either? Yeah, no, I I agree. I'm only kind of like, are you against it in terms of devil, devil's advocate, which is not a term I revel in, but... No. <laughs> but more in the fact that I think this plays into the whole, what I made notes on in the next page... Of Dumbledore's manipulation of Harry in this chapter, he's trying to play like I did everything for a reason and playing like there weren't other options when there fucking were. Because what we have to remember throughout this entire chapter and what I'm about to bring up in the next fucking note is at this point, Dumbledore knows Harry is a horcrux. So is only telling him 50% of the information is only framing it as I'm telling the whole truth. Exactly. And is making himself seem like the hero and making Harry want to feel sorry for him and forgive him so that he will trust him mm. in the next book to follow his orders. This is yep. manipulation.
1: Yep. I just think there's another way around this. He could have given him to any family.
0: If he had given him to the Weasleys, he would not have been a pampered prince. Yeah. The protection Ron is not
1: a pampered prince. No,
0: the protection is less. But like, I just think there's a certain amount where it's fucking good enough. And obviously, it's a different thing. If I mean, if, if he'd given him to the Weasleys, Wormtail might have murdered him right off the bat. But you know,
1: <laughs> but I I don't think Wormtail would have had the motivation to personally. But like, I don't know. To me, it's like give him to a different family. If Voldemort ri- with obviously an insane level of protection, and if Voldemort rises up, then you really reevaluate. If after five years Voldemort rises up again, and you go shit, he has to go to Aunt Petunia. Then do it. Then he has to go to yeah. Aunt Petunia. But it's just like he wasn't a threat. You knew that you at least had a few years that he wasn't a threat. So yeah. like,
0: but I think in many ways, Dumbledore wanted him to come to Hogwarts and to come to the Wizarding World, beaten down as the outcast, because it would make him. Easier to manipulate. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly. Yeah. People people that have been abused are prone to be abused again. Exactly. So Dumbledore then explains that he knew that there was a flaw in his plan all along, and that the flaw was that he cared for Harry and that he cares about his feelings and happiness. What? But when he says this line, and we need to check when we get to the end of book six and book seven, but I am pretty convinced at this point that Dumbledore knows that Harry's a horcrux. I think he knows from the end of book four-ish. Yeah. That Harry is a horcrux. So when Dumbledore is saying there was a flaw in my plan because I cared about you, I loved you, I wanted to see you succeed, I wanted you to be happy and comfortable, he is still only giving Harry the information that is necessary for him in this moment to trust Dumbledore again and to love Dumbledore again and for him to follow Dumbledore again and he's manipulating him. And like, okay... I just want to talk about, like, what would have happened, canonically, if Harry had found out he was a Horcrux at this point. Mm. This might be too big a topic for this chapter, but... Because Dumbledore feels it's important that Harry only finds out he's a Horcrux at the last minute. Because otherwise he feels he would not have the strength to sacrifice himself. But I think Dumbledore is underestimating Harry in that yeah. sense. Because I think Harry always had the strength to sacrifice yeah, himself.
1: Absolutely. Like... If it's like, oh, either you die or all your friends die, Harry would it die. It doesn't in a matter. Heartbeat. Like any most people, ninety nine percent of people, would make the same choice. It doesn't matter when you find that information out. Like it doesn't even have to be my friends. If you said to me like you're gonna die or like sixteen other people, I'd be like, ah. Okay. Well
0: sixteen people. <laughs> I with finally light. die. <laughs> but that's where I think Dumbledore underestimates Harry. Because he's comparing to his own feelings and emotions because Dumbledore would survive rather than 16 people because he thinks he's cleverer, whereas Harry sees himself as the everyman. Yeah. And in that way, Dumbledore constantly underestimates Harry because if Harry had found, I truly believe if Harry had found out a Horcrux at this point, the same end of the books would have happened. Yeah. We'll get to book seven and work this out because I might—I think I've forgotten parts of what is said Mm. in the Pensieve chapter. I really do. So please don't tweet me like, you've forgotten this part. I want to get to it and (laughs)
1: realise. It's like one part of me is like, I guess it would be hard for him to motivate himself to destroy the other Horcruxes. Which like, obviously, yes, he would be motivated in terms of like trying to save other people, but it can also... I can also see the side that no matter how much you care about the other people, if you're like, oh, I die at the end of this, mm. it, it must put a, a certain conflict yeah. on it. Yeah,
0: definitely. For, you're not, for a
1: 15-year-old... <laughs> you might not be rushing as much, you yeah. know?
0: Yeah, definitely. And he wouldn't have... Okay, so if he had known that, I think what would have happened is he would have carried on, but he wouldn't have had the capacity to continue to love... the way he did because what's the point in loving yeah and this isn't a criticism i'm trying to imagine if i knew i was going to die in two years yeah what's the point in loving and making connections if you know you're going to die because you're going to hurt those people and I i think that's what harry would have thought i guess the distinction
1: might have been not even with harry but with hermione where it might have been that it would have given hermione time to be like harry i don't think you'll die you know it might give her time to work that out yeah. and therefore him sacrificing himself wouldn't have had the same meaning because he wouldn't truly be sacrificing himself
0: and therefore protecting everyone else
1: That's maybe true. that was the distinction
0: maybe but i think i think it also has something to do with that harry being the person he is would have separated himself from everyone from lupin from ron from hermione from ginny from mr and mrs weasley because what's the point and it would only hurt them Mm. more to love them if he's going to die so he would have pulled away from them and therefore it doesn't work plot wise i love the line from dumbledore that what did i care that a number of nameless and faces people or creatures were slaughtered in the vague future i think this is a great line to do with the greater good metaphor of what does what does someone you personally care about's happiness matter in terms of people you don't know have never met in the future? Like it's it is that train track thing of would you save the one person you love compared to sixteen people you don't love? It's But to me I'm just like who are these people that are apparently dying? Serious. It's only serious. No, in the next book we get all of the people dying. We get Amelia Vance and Hannah. Abbott's mum and no. all of the nameless and faceless people and creatures No, but at this families of households. No, no, no. Elves.
1: At this point, because he's talking about if he hadn't told Harry, he's like, oh, like, I would rather not tell you and all oh, these people die. But the only person that dies as a consequence of Harry not knowing is Sirius. He only... It's not nameless, faceless uh, people that he... Bertha Jorkins? That's not because he didn't tell Harry... That would have happened regardless. Uh, uh, it's only serious. It's it, not nameless, faceless people. I suppose it's he, serious. I suppose if he
0: had told Harry and the whole Hawk group plan panel had been set in motion earlier and they had worked together, then maybe people could have been spared like Bertha Jorkins. And also the ministry employee that clearly got slaughtered because he wasn't on guard duty oh that night. God, yeah. We don't talk about the ministry employee who got slaughtered enough.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: But like, yeah. RIP for Paul. I'm going to call him Paul.
1: Yeah. Like, I guess. But then it's like regard like that kind of would have happened regardless of Harry knowing. It's just that he would have been slaughtered and Harry wouldn't have turned up.
0: But Dumbledore know when Voldemort was gonna turn up. He knew
1: it would happen eventually. I don't know, to me he's like, oh like it so what? Like I delayed telling you and it would mean that nameless, faceless people would die. The only people that died as a consequence was serious. And that was not a nameless or faceless person. Like, I'm not saying that that makes it okay. But it's as if he's like, oh, well, these random people would die. But like, I,
0: suppose, I don't know. I guess I, you... <sighs> I suppose Dumbledore is almost saying... To be I fair... I told you earlier, we could have hunted down all the Horcruxes... And killed Voldemort before he came back to life. And he's almost taking on what is Fudge's responsibility for the amount of people that die in book six, yeah. which is a fucking lot of people, which is actually yeah. Fudge's responsibility. Yeah. Dumbledore is almost taking on that guilt.
1: Yeah, but it's like whilst pe- whilst other people died, it's like the only one that was as a direct consequence of Harry not knowing was serious. Yes, you could argue the security guard, but that would have happened regardless of ha- if Harry turned up or not.
0: It's all the what ifs,
1: isn't it? Is, but it kind of to me it kind of reads as like in hindsight is like Dumbledore twisting the truth.
0: Yeah, Dumbledore is manipulating Harry in this. He's chapter. gaslight girl boss gatekeeping. He is him. gaslight girl boss gate-keep. So then he finally says it was a prophecy. And we get to the prophecy bit. Da-da-da. Da-da-da. I can hear Neil pulling the curtains. There was a prophecy made that Voldemort believes from what he heard of the prophecy. Basically, Voldemort believes you have to kill Harry. Yeah. Based on the prophecy. Mm-hmm. He believes that Harry has powers, special powers, and that he needs to kill him. The prophecy was told to Dumbledore by Trelawney, first gasp, and Dumbledore play, then plays it for Harry. But the big reveal, which isn't even the biggest reveal of this chapter, but it was the biggest reveal for me, is that the prophecy could have also been about dun-dun-dun neville
1: yeah it's good shit it's good fucking shit it's
0: good shit because harry is so absorbed by grief and everything else he's not even like what oh my god he's just like well then why didn't he go after neville why did he choose me he could have got it wrong and dumbledore is like hey the point in that prophecy where he said marked him as his equal was not fulfilled until he chose either you or neville yeah therefore in choosing one of you he fulfilled that part of the prophecy therefore it's about of you and harry is like well he still could have got it wrong and this is where i side with harry more than dumbledore but then this all gets flipped on its head in book six when dumbledore is like haha prophecies aren't aren't even real wrecked but harry is like it could have been about neville in the first place and it still is in my mind because can you imagine a world where Neville would ever rest, ever sleep, ever relax, ever settle down if Voldemort was still alive? No. Then, therefore, the prophecy is also about Neville.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And also, Neville plays a hand. He literally kills one of his Horcruxes.
0: Exactly. So, the prophecy wasn't just about Harry.
1: Yeah. It was the, also about Neville. The thing is, like, the Horcrux is like, oh, like, yes, like, this guy will be born that will, like, destroy him or whatever. But, like, yeah, Neville does that. Yeah. It's like the output would be different had Neville not been born. So it kind of is about them both. It is
0: about... And this is where the whole bit in Book of Six, it's really complicated with, like, the prophecy isn't real. There's hundreds of prophecies that were never fulfilled. You're only fulfilling it because you have to. Because... And Dumbledore literally asks Harry, and well, cover it in book sits, but could you sleep could you walk on this earth if Voldemort is still living and Harry says no but the same is true for Neville because yeah. Neville lives for Harry but the same is true for Ron and the same is true for Hermione and the same is true mm-hmm. for all of these children that yeah. have been infected by war and that is where the prophecy doesn't becomes not real. Because when Harry seemingly dies at the end mm. of book seven, the war does not end. Voldemort has not won because Neville carries on and Ron it's not carries a on beef. No, Neville carries on, Ron carries on, Hermione carries on, McGonagall carries on. Because none of them can live while yeah. Voldemort yeah. survives. And that's where the prophecy is so good because it isn't about one of them. It's about yeah. all of them and none of them exactly. at the same time. Yeah.
1: Like the only bit that narrows it down to Harry is the whole mark him as his equal. Yeah. But then you're going to establish in the next book that
0: prophecies are bollocks, you know? It's just that it. the only thing that makes Harry the one to actually cast the final curse is Voldemort's act of picking him out. Yeah. Exactly. Not Harry's because Neville and Ron and Hermione and all of them could have done the same thing. Yeah. And I love that. I think Absolutely. that is genius.
1: Yeah, it like, it sets Harry on this path that then leads him towards like the knowledge and the wand that lets him do that. Yeah. But that could have been
0: true of any of them. <sighs> it's so good. It's so good, especially because prophecies are such high fantasy novel. And until this point, Harry Potter has been kind of low fantasy elements it's very mm. grounded in like the muggle world and like you know when you think of high fantasy you think of the latter half of game of thrones and it's all gone weird awful <laughs> <laughs> well the books haven't but the tv show has yeah <laughs> when you get to the prophecy bit of harry potter you're like whoa prophecy high fantasy and then the next book brings it back down to earth when it's like well no actually this is a load of bullshit words and do like yeah I love the way she toys with high fantasy and brings it back down to low fantasy. I just think it's really clever. And Mm -hmm. Neville, as you said, deserves his dick sucked because he is the real um, hero of this story. Yeah, I would suck the soul out of that boy. Are you a dementor?
1: I'm just that good.
0: So Voldemort's then like, well, you defeated Voldemort four times, Mm. which is more than your parents or Neville's parents. And Harry's like, cool, okay, (laughs) great. And then Harry questions why Voldemort didn't wait till Harry and Neville were older. Yeah. To see which of them had more power, which is like a good point from Harry, well made. And But
1: it's a bit like the whole killing Hitler as a baby argument, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is a bit. It's like, well, would that have helped? Is it easier to kill a baby? Yeah, it's
1: like, surely by the time you know which is more powerful, it's like kind of too late.
0: But is this where what Hermione said two chapters ago of that killing a baby is inherently and morally wrong? Is that where mm. that comes in? Yeah. Is that why that was in this book? But Voldemort's like, ha ha... There was an eavesdropper, and he only heard the beginning, this was a convenient eavesdropper who got got conveniently pulled away. What what a
1: fucking time.
0: (laughs) I'm just like, the convenience of this man hearing the first two to three lines of this prophecy and then getting conveniently pulled away. But uh, do you know what? I'll buy it. Like, these things happen. Fine. Fine. So an eavesdropper, who we don't know who it is at this point, we'll get to it in the next book, only hears up until up to the seventh month dies part of the prophecy so only hears one to vanish the Dark Lord's approaches and the details about who it is mm. so we he doesn't hear any of the shit about that he has the power to defeat him so then we get into the bit of the prophecy that is like he will have the power the Dark Lord knows no he will have the power the Dark Lord knows not and Voldemort actually skirts around, skirts around the word the word love is never said hmm Dumbledore is like, I think I just said Voldemort. Ignore it. <laughs> yeah. Dumbledore is like, there is a thing that is studied in the Department of Mysteries that... Is, blah, blah, blah. It is the thing that makes you grieve for serious... It's love. It's love. Okay. It's love. Um. Fine. It's love. But I do kind of like that it's not like the kind of bullshit explanation we got in book one. That mm. it's like, Lily loved you and she dived in front of you... And that's why you lived. It's more than that. But not. But it is. (laughs) Mm. Harry's capacity to love gives him the ability to empathise with people and creatures and blah, 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 that are not on the same societal level as him. And to sacrifice himself to save everyone at the end of book seven, which is the power that Voldemort knows not because he would never sacrifice himself and he can't empathize with people and creatures that he deems as lower than him. And then I was kind of thinking about how Voldemort points out that Harry is constantly hiding behind people's skirts. Mm. That's a line that is said in book seven. And I was kind of like, you know, I've never really thought about that before, but Harry is only hiding behind people's skirts because he has the ability to love and therefore he has skirts to hide behind. Yeah, Voldemort never has skirts to hide behind because he never had the ability Yeah, or the compassion to love. He never has anyone to dive in front of the curse for him. And it's not that Harry has waves of people sacrificing himself for him. It's that Harry has a power that Voldemort knows not, which is this constant line of people that are willing to die for him. Yeah. And that's what it is. Yeah. Then we get to the bit the prophecy is like one either can live while the other survive. Which I never understood. As a child I thought it meant that if one dies the other dies. I was actually convinced that both were going to die at the end. I was disappointed when they didn't. Yeah. I thought but- it meant that if one died the other died.
1: <laughs> it's like it's so like vaguely and confusingly phrased to me that when Harry's like does that mean that one of us kills the other I'm like How did you get there? I was lost. (laughs)
0: Neither can live while the other survives. To me, it implies that when one of them dies the other... And I seriously thought these books were going to end with Harry having to sacrifice himself to death to kill Voldemort. Yeah. As a 13-year-old, I was like, oh, Harry's going to have to kill himself. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's like neither can live while the other survives. But they're both alive now. Like, I know that it doesn't necessarily mean live in terms of like have heartbeat. I know that there's other elements to life, but like you know yeah. neither can live while the other survive. They are. Yeah. Right now. Na- yeah. So like explain yourself. But
0: there's also, yeah, that way of interpreting it which so many people ha- thought it was gonna end with, oh but it's neither gonna bother to survive, but one must die at the hand of the other or whatever it yeah. is that like they both have to die for it to end. And like mm. would that be I was absolutely convinced that Harry was gonna die at the end. Absolutely yeah. convinced. As I went into book seven, I was like, "Harry's gonna die." Mm. <laughs> no, JK Rowling wouldn't do that. But that would have been heartbreaking. But yeah. that's how I thought it was gonna end. But yeah, Violet. it is confusingly worded because, like, for three years, both of them are alive. They kind of get to the end of their conversation after they either, <laughs> neither can live while the other survives, and Harry is stunned as he hears people getting up for breakfast. That people's lives are carrying on while he mourns Sirius and he is convinced if he could just pull back the veil that Sirius would be there and um, the description of grief is so real and so raw like that that thing where you're like people's lives just carry-. like especially when you're an adult when you're working you're like wait the next day of work just arrives around and I'm expected to just reply to emails like you want that for what? Yeah. Like that shock of being like that world just carries on it's mm-hmm. it's heartbreaking and then Dumbledore finishes the chapter with the worst paragraph in this whole book. I don't care about Sirius dying. I don't care about I, I care about this. Yep. Dumbledore says that he thought Harry had enough responsibility to be getting on with, and therefore that he didn't make him a prefect because he had enough responsibility to, to getting on with, him, and then he cries. It's like Dumbledore. <laughs> I don't think Harry cares right now. Okay. I wrote many things to try to explain this because I've hated this my whole life. And I don't care that I still hate it because I think that's valid. Mm-hmm. But I wrote some notes to try to work this out. But, but, but why do you hate it? Tell me why you hate it. <laughs> I hate it because it's just not what's on, what
1: is on your mind when your godfather dies and all of your friends are in the hospital. Yeah. Like, Harry has already come to terms that so he didn't really mind it that much. Yeah. He's like
0: emotionally over that,
1: and it's just so. Dumbledore's reaction is just so disproportionate to everything else.
0: Yeah. So the reason I was it, because is Ron not allowed? Is Ron not allowed a single crumb? Yeah. <laughs> Can we not throw Ron one
1: single bone? Yeah. Like also that, but I'm just like, oh my god! Like, does academic validation have to be the be all end all? Like, yeah. has Harry not proved himself enough? Why are we like pressuring him to like? evaluate himself by this new benchmark it's like i don't know you know when there's like an achievement and it ha- d- hasn't remotely bothered you that you haven't achieved that thing that y- you didn't want to achieve that thing you put no effort into achieving that thing there wasn't it wasn't on your list of priorities and then the- someone's like oh i'm sorry that you didn't achieve this thing and you're like oh
0: ouch
1: uh-huh. Well, Even I- though you didn't want it. It's like the pure act of someone saying, oh, I'm sorry you didn't do that.
0: And I'm like, Ow. I didn't want it. Now I do. Yeah. I gave up three reasons why, Jake. He might have written writ this because... Writ- wrote this. Because I've been upset about this line <laughs> since it got published. And I needed to try to work it out. Okay. So, one. Maybe because it would have shown that Dumbledore cared about Harry and cared about... How he did in life without having to interact with him. It's that kind of thing where he could have told McGonagall to tell Lupin to pass mm. the message on. Making him prefect would have shown confidence in him without personally interacting with yeah. him. Two, J.K. Rowling has just done a huge high fantasy thing with the prophecy, and she's like, wow, I need to ground this back in the reality of life. So I'm going to ground it back with something that all readers can understand prefects, and that's going to make Dumbledore cry because the minutia Which in of hindsight, life...
1: no, because Americans would like, huh? Huh?
0: makes us more cryy than the big events and that kind of relates to my point three is small acts often add up to what is the big difference if harry had been made a prefect at the beginning of the book would he have realized dumbledore confidence had confidence in him and then not have had the tailspin and then not have yeah. rebelled against snape during the occlumency lessons and then would not have not had the confidence to go after sirius yeah. is that what she's trying to tell us that these small acts add up do a big difference. But none of that matters because this line is such a fucking slap in the face to Ron that mm. I don't fucking care. Like, fuck off.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They're both as useless as each other. Exactly. Give it what to Neville? Harry done Give more... it to Seamus. Give it to Dean. Give it to Dean. Like... Give it to
0: Neville. Like, What has Harry done more than Ron? Nothing. He's actually got in more trouble than Ron. Yeah. In that first year, Ron was in the hospital wing while the rest of them went off to their big detentions that lost them 50 points. Yeah. So Ron does deserve it more than Harry, but you know who deserves it more than both of them? Dean or Seamus or Neville. Yeah. Fuck off, Dumbledore. Anyone. Throw the rest of them a fucking crumb. Yeah. I hate Dumbledore in this moment. Yeah. And this bit has annoyed me my whole life um valid i seriously thought the bit about the prophecy not being real and not having to be fulfilled was in this chapter but it's actually in book six so a lot of my notes went out the window and that's all the notes i have
1: (laughs) amazing (laughs) well
0: what a beefy chapter that is a heavy chapter but we hope you enjoyed it yeah wow heavy and then we've just got one more episode to terrifying. finish off the book. Horrifying. And to set your guys' expectation, we have another book episode, then we'll have a film episode, and then we're adding in a new feature called a listener submission episode, which we'll yep. give you more details on in the next episode of how you can join in. Yep. Um, but yeah. Misu is sniffing my feet. That is what he does. But that's what you've got f- look, got to look forward to before book 6 Mm-hmm. But hope you enjoyed this deep dive into Dumbledore and all the bullshit. Yeah. Um, goodbye from me. Bye. And goodbye from me Thank you for listening to this episode of Goblet of Wine. To find us on social media, search at Goblet of Wine Pod on Twitter or at Goblet of Wine Podcast on Instagram. We also have a website
1: over at www.gobletofwine.co.uk where you can keep up with everything that we do.
0: This podcast is produced by our wonderful Hufflepuff tier patrons. Samuel, Samantha, Nicholas, Lewis, Layla, Catherine...